So apart from spending on things that you like as a millennial, you know, shoes, travel, gadget, a big chunk of it gets sitting in the bank. And my biggest regret now at the age of 35 is that knowing that that catapulted my finances is that I wished I invested on a lot of financial instruments way, way earlier. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive these five free benefits. First, you get the risk reduction checklist I created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. Second, you get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Third, you get a 25% discount on all ASTOTS Academy courses. Fourth, you get access to our Facebook community to get to know guests and fellow listeners. And finally, you get my curated list of the top 10 podcast episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guests, Jonathan Yabut. Jonathan, are you ready to rock? I'm pumped up and ready. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. You are welcome. And I know you're pumped up. You know, anybody that checks out your profile on LinkedIn or anything about your business knows that you are all about pumped up. So let me introduce you to the audience. Jonathan Yabut is the proud Filipino winner of the Asian hit reality TV show, The Apprentice Asia. For winning the show, he served for one year as chief of staff of Air Asia, reporting directly to Malaysian business mogul, Tony Fernandez, based in Kuala Lumpur. Today, he is Asia's leading motivational speaker on topics involving leadership, talent development of Gen Y workers, and office productivity. And I'm gonna say so much more. Jonathan, take a moment and fill any further tidbits about your life. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, it's nice to see you in this session. So this is Jonathan. As mentioned a while ago, I'm the winner of The Apprentice Asia, the first ever season. And it's the same TV series created by Mark Burnett, who invented Survivor. There are about 28 countries today who have their own version of The Apprentice. You have to undergo a series of negotiation tasks, creativity, and marketing. And every episode, they fire one person until only one person gets left behind. The winner of the show wins 100,000 US dollars together with a job that makes you as the chief of staff of Air Asia. So that was, I think, the moment that catapulted me in my life. 100,000 US dollars isn't that big when you look at it in the long term, but for someone who was 27 years old that time. That's a lot of money. Go, Is it? <laughs> well, at, at the age of 35, I, I, time of COVID-19, I think it's it can easily pass through. But during my time, I've, I told to myself, wow, this is a lot. And so I tried to thinking what I will do with the money. Of course, the biggest thing that I will think of is saving that. So, mm. and yeah, so a lot of it was kept in the bank. Let me ask a few questions about yourself and what you do, because I know the audience would like to know more. First question I have is when you did The Apprentice, and you started, how confident were you that you were going to win? You're like, I'm going to win this. Or you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be tough. I think I'm relatively a confident guy since I was young. I, I was a member of the debate varsity team when I was in university. I know I'm, I'm a very outspoken guy. So maybe 60 to 70 percent entering the competition. But the moment you see episode one, two and three and you get to have a feel of the other contestants, that started to dwindle. 
to about mm-hmm. 30 to 20 percent and i'm like gosh i'm the youngest male contestant i have the least amount of experience so i'll try to stay low under the radar in a few episodes and then once i get to see the strengths and weaknesses of the other competitors that's when i'll start to kick in and rev up the engine mm. so <clears throat> yeah exciting and you know i'm just curious for people that hire you and your business how would you describe kind of what you personally bring to people? You know, I think I've looked a lot at what you do and I'm just curious, like, how do people feel when they, when they work with you? So when we introduce ourselves, we label ourselves JY Consultancy and Ventures as an, a company that specializes in organizational behavior. So whether it be about leadership, motivation, public speaking, business writing, or even digital marketing, we specialize in upskilling your employees. So if you want your Generation X leaders, for example, to be better in understanding the Generation Y attitudes of why they're different in their workplace, we give you best practices, we give you case studies, and we also conduct research for those organizations. Mm. And, you know, this podcast is all about authenticity. People come on this podcast because they want to share their worst, you know, investment and the risks that they take and the issues that happen in their life. And, you know, your life wasn't all a bed of roses, as you've told me a little bit about. Maybe you can just tell the audience about your your humble beginnings and kind of where where you've taken that to this point. So both my I come from a line of parents and grandparents who were public school teachers, both from the grandmother side grandfather's side were farmers, farmers of coconut, and both my mom and dad were also government workers. So I lived in the slums of Tondo until the age of 17 years old. So if you're familiar with Metro Manila, there's this one dot in that district that has a lot of slums. So I lived there until the age of 17. I remember until the age of 15 years old, I was living with, I was sleeping in the same bedroom with my parents in a king-sized bed that didn't have any mattress. It was made out of wood. And every night I would put up a mosquito net because you have to protect yourself in a very humid, hot country like the Philippines. So I knew, you know, living and growing up, how the other half lives in terms of, you know, wanting the best for yourself, aspiring to get out of poverty and wishing that you can give a better life to thank your parents after all their sacrifices. Mm. Well, you're a real inspiration. I know not only in the Philippines, but for all of our listeners, it's just, it's a great story. And now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and tell us your story. I have to commend you, by the way, Andrew, because I've, I don't think there's any podcast out there that makes people focus on that one mistake and people are willing to share that one mistake because it's something that makes you feel vulnerable. In my case, I think my mistake, so first and foremost, I think when people say mistake, I think they always think about the one thing that they did. Mm-hmm. In my case, I think my mistake was the absence of what I did. It was in action for my end. So a while ago at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned after winning 100,000 US dollars, as a 27-year-old guy, that was almost 10 years ago, who thought, wow, I got lots of money. So apart from spending on things that you like as a millennial, you know, shoes, travel, gadget, a big chunk of it gets sitting in the bank. And my biggest regret now at the age of 35 is that knowing that that catapulted my finances is that I wished I invested on a lot of financial instruments way, way earlier. And it's 
2013 versus 2021, it's what? Eight years now. Mm-hmm. A big chunk of my money that I have invested could have probably led to something way bigger today, whether it's a property, whether it's stocks or bonds or money market, for example. Mm. So how would you describe, as you look back now, the lessons that you learned from this? Well, number one, and I think a lot of the young listeners in this podcast can relate. I think in the time of 2000, 2010 to 2020, we have been fortunate that there's the social media. Social media today exposes you to a lot of things. It exposes you that, hey, if you have this amount of money or assets sitting, there's an opportunity for you to place it somewhere else, right? There are a lot of apps and software today, which I didn't have when I was Mm. 27 years old, that you can use for trading. A lot of the online banking software today, right? Mm. The proper banks even allow you at the click of a button to invest in bonds, invest also in equities and put it into money market. How I wish, looking back, that I had an opportunity to do that. Of course, on hindsight, because this technology wasn't available yet, what I wish is if I can expand my network and be around people who can nudge me and tell me, John, if you have this amount of money, you're supposed to be placing it somewhere where it can yield better returns. Mm. And again, a part of me wants to be more forgiving of myself because I knew that my friends... My friends and my mates and my co-workers, they were very homogeneous. They were mostly the same corporate type of thinking. If you earn this amount of salary every month, you put it in the bank, X percent goes to savings, X percent goes to consumption. But when you expand your friends to a group of other folks, for example, entrepreneurs Mm. who see it from a different light, I wish I hang out more with these types of people, had a... glass of beer or a a glass of wine, for example. And the more I get exposed to them, which I regret again, because I'm only doing these things now, even in the time of COVID-19, the more you get to realize, gosh, I could have done more. I could have earned more from these opportunities. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll share a few, few things that I take away from your story. It reminds me going back in time to, uh, I went to, to the Philippines, to the, uh, to De La Salle Das Marinas, and I went to give a speech there, and I arrived the night before, and I actually also have a course I teach on how to give a presentation, and one of the things I teach is, will come from this little story, but I remember I arrived kind of late, it was like eight o'clock at night that we arrived on campus, and they had a room for me next to the venue on campus, so I said, you know, let me go to the venue, and so the venue was being set up. And it was about 2,000 students in that particular event. This was probably four years ago. And what, one of the things I did is I put up my presentation on the screen and I went to the back of the room and I realized my fonts are too small. And I had about 200 slides because it was a three hour presentation. I had to go back to my room and increase. And every time you increase the font size, it's like you have to expand it to another page. So I, like had to, I spent probably three hours preparing. But the main thing about that event was that I was teaching about how could you start investing if you were in the Philippines. Mm. And that's a course and a book I had, How to Start Building Your Wealth. And in fact, I gave away a free trip to Bangkok on that. Wow. I had a, con- I had a, I had a contest and everybody, everybody signed up. We had a blast. And then a lady named Charmaine Franco won it. And then she came to Thailand with her mother and did 48 hours with me. And for anybody listening, you can go to my YouTube channel and you can see that we documented it. She came to my 
my factory. She came to my finance business. She came to CFA to meet with people. She went through my whole day, went out to exercise. We had a great time. She's now, you know, a successful accountant and has been moving up the ranks. So that was a great event. But great. just that time, it was only like four or five years ago, there still weren't a lot of instruments available. But now Philippines has been developing and there are I know a lot of Philippine, Filipinos are using eToro as one way of trading mm -hmm. in the market. Mm -hmm. And then there also are some mutual funds now. I've identified one in the Philippines that allows you to buy that mutual fund at one of the banks and then own every stock in the world, not just the Philippine stock. So I think mm -hmm. that, you know, the first thing I would say is that the options now, as you said, are great. There's a lot more options out there. The second thing that, you know, I, I take away from it is that there's something that most people, if you talk to someone and you say, they say, I'm low risk, so I keep my money in the bank. Mm -hmm. I always say, that's high risk. And they say, no, that's not high risk. How could that be high risk? Because, you know, it's safe in the bank. I said that the problem with the putting your money in the bank is now you're exposing yourself to a new risk. And that risk is called shortfall risk. And that means that when you need the money at the age of 50 or 60, it won't have grown to be the amount that you needed. So, you know, there is no ultimate safety in the world of finance. You have to kind of balance risk and return. Mm -hmm. And I think you just remind me, for all the listeners out there, to, to remember just because it's in the bank doesn't mean it's safe. There are other risks you're exposing yourself to. Correct. So those are some of the things I, I also think about, you know, in the Philippines as well as Thailand and many of the countries in Southeast Asia, instruments, whether that's life insurance, whether that's mutual funds, can be very expensive. So I always want to warn the listeners that you should ask a lot of questions about the expenses of oh any God, instrument. Yes. Of any instrument. Mm -hmm. And finally, before you turn on the recorder, you, talked, you and I talked about life insurance. And I'm reminded by the fact that I have a life insurance policy. It, it's dated, it was started in 1965 for my life insurance. And in wow. my family, they gave, my dad gave me a life insurance policy the day I was born. You're so lucky, Andrew. Yeah. Not everyone gets that kind of gift so from their parents. He paid for it until I was 18 and then he handed it to me and then I've been paying it. It's a hundred bucks a year, you know, wow. in the US. So mm -hmm. it's like, but it, it'll be, it'll be nice. So those are some of the things I take away. Anything you would add to that? Yeah. Um, this is something that I think more of a call to action for societies and governments in general. And I think it's, it's important that the citizens get to know this. At the end of the day, it, no one teaches you how to manage your assets. There is no course in university or high school that does that. I think Scandinavian countries do that in some of their high school curriculum. But at the end of the day, when you have this amount of money, you only find out how to make use of it if you have a good set of friends, if you have a good financial advisor who I wish is not going to fool you right, on having to purchase a lot of assets and instruments, because again, as you've mentioned, mm. they come with a lot of admin charges that most customers aren't aware are going to be charged away from them. So if you end up in a situation where and you have to face a financial instrument, never be ashamed of asking as many questions as you can, especially if you are entering or enrolling in a long term. If you're entering into, let's say, a five-year bond or a three-year bond or you know, a 30-year insurance plan that you need to pay for, ask as many questions. Because when you sign on, there is no going back or penalties are going to be incurred if you have to turn your back. Mm. 
And one of the organizations I'm involved with is the Chartered Financial Analyst, CFA program. Mm. And the CFA program came up after the 2008 crisis with investor rights. And anybody can type it in, investor rights, CFA. And one of the rights is that a retail investor, an individual investor, has a right to understand the fees attached to any instrument. And more importantly, you have a right to demand that they explain it in a way exactly. that you understand it. So I really want to challenge all the listeners around the world, when you're presented with a financial instrument, you, sh you must ask, please explain the fees to me very clearly. The mm -hmm. second thing is if it's not clearly, do not hesitate to say, sorry, I don't understand that. Can you explain that better? I just, I need to understand this clearly. You have yeah. a right to do that. Yeah. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? The same thing that I mentioned a while ago, never hesitate to ask questions. But just to add value to that, never be embarrassed if you don't know much about your finances and how mm -hmm. it's going to be utilized. I think a lot of us, I think there's a more of an Asian culture. A lot of us have this stigma that if I ask more, it's either I'm challenging the authority or I will lose my face because I'm entering into a transaction and yet I don't know what it is about. And trust me, guys, you don't need to be the best you know, intelligent person to enter financial transactions. Sometimes there are situations wherein you are interested to enter it, but you're also learning along the way. And because you're learning along the way, you have to demand that if you don't know what's going to happen next, you're going to ask those questions. And mm. remember, we're, we're luckier today. Before 10 years ago, when you have to ask a question, you have to make a phone call. These days, it's just a chat on WhatsApp. It's mm. an email that you can send. And a lot of the insurance agents, a lot of bank agents, a lot of investing agents can now be accessible in the time of COVID-19 digitally. Yeah. Yep. So take advantage of those tools. So last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My case would be diversifying further my assets. So I think I'm pretty good with the financial instruments part. I'm at the age of 35. So I don't think, you know, I'm at the cusp of getting out of that age of being a millennial. And mm -hmm. in five years, I'm, I'm turning 40. So I'm, I've been heavy these days on the property market. And that's the part that I... That's the part that I would love to engage on, most especially because at least for now in the Philippines, the property market is resilient, but it's also a time wherein the property market has good competitive rates. So I want to engage on that. And yeah, looking forward to the future that it's a long-term basis, thinking of having a family, thinking of settling down. That's something that I want to be more solid this year. Well, I can't wait to check up in 12 months and find out where you are. All right, listeners, there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com, and I look forward to seeing you there. Jonathan, as we conclude, I want to thank you again for coming on the show, and on behalf of ASTOTS Academy. I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, well, thank you for the certificate. And I think my, my message more is for you, Andrew. Thank you for holding these kinds of podcasts. I think there needs to be more education that a lot of our folks need to capture that they can't get from formal schooling. 
And thank you for that, for this podcast, therefore. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.